Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading this morning will come from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the, of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You may be seated. Would you open God's book, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 1. And we're going to begin our lesson in just a couple of minutes from that passage. Acts, the first chapter. Now, it's really important that you get a copy of the Bible close to you so that you can see it during this lesson. We're going to... I'm going to wear your thumbs out today because we're going to be turning to a number of passages and it will be so valuable to you if you're able to see the actual text as we go. When you reference somebody, and I don't know why you would use this terminology, but if you you reference somebody and you say, now you know sometimes he sins, I, I would ask you this question, is that person he's referencing a Christian or not a Christian? Well, you don't know. You don't know because Christians sin too, right? First John chapter 1 and verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And sometimes then, to differentiate between a Christian, but a person in Christ, who sometimes sins, doesn't live in sin, doesn't sin that grace may abound, you know how that goes, but sometimes we'll sin, and we all do. Now, it's different from a person who's not in Christ, never has been in Christ, is not saved. And sometimes the language or terminology that's used to differentiate between those two is this, an alien sinner. That's not a derogatory term. It just means somebody who's not in Christ, somebody who's not been saved. And, and so for the sake of this lesson today, I'm talking about those folks. I'm talking about people outside of Christ who are not saved. And you might refer to them as alien sinners. They're not in Christ. Many times I've studied with people about their souls who are religious people. Jesus didn't come to make the world religious, you know. It was already religious. He came to make it religiously right. And those things are different. And to study with someone who's religious and who already claims to be a Christian, and you say, well, and I've said, tell me about how you became saved. Tell me about your salvation. How did you become a Christian? And have them explain it. And, And it's not uncommon for a person to say, well, I can remember exactly when it was. I was 17 years old, and I was at this meeting, and I accepted Jesus into my heart, and I was saved, and then I I 
you know, and I prayed the sinner's prayer. And then after that, later on, a few weeks later, I was baptized. And that's how I was saved. And, and the significance of that is that according to the teaching, he was saved when he prayed the sinner's prayer. Because that's the point at which he received Jesus into his heart. And he was baptized, mind you, but he was baptized as a person in Christ. He was baptized in his mind as somebody who was already saved. The sins were washed away. The baptism wasn't about the sins being washed away. He was already saved. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the sinner's prayer. I don't know if you're familiar with the term. I suppose you are. I mean, we're around it a lot. You see, see, sometimes maybe on television, a large assembly of people in a religious revival, and the preacher preaches a powerful sermon, and he gets to the end, and he says, now everybody get very, very quiet, and wherever you are, bow your heads, and, and it goes something like this. If you'd like to be saved, then bow your head right now with me and pray this prayer from the bottom of your heart. And, and the sinner's prayer is recited in whatever form it's given. And it will end typically with something like, thank you, Jesus, for saving me right here and right now. Or maybe, maybe you get to a gas station and you have pam- a pamphlets laying up on top of the pump. Or maybe it's a doctor's office. And on the side table where you're sitting in the waiting room, there's some pamphlets there. And, and, and it says something on the front like, want to go to heaven? Or something like, mm, don't want to go to hell? Or are your sins forgiven? Or whatever. And you know it's a religious pamphlet, and you pick it up, and what you can predict is that the sinner's prayer is going to be in there. And, it, and again, it, it goes similar to what I, I just mentioned. Let me give some examples. I'm going to give you three examples of the sinner's prayer. And um, here's the first one. Now, I want to, what I want to do is to demonstrate that they're different. Maybe not dramatically different, but there, there's some, some differences in the way they're worded. And this one is directed specifically to Jesus. Dear, and I got them off the internet. You can, you can find them easily. The sinner's prayer. Dear Lord, I realize I'm a sinner and that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. Please forgive my sin. Come into my heart and save me. I trust you alone to take me to heaven. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Amen. Here's another one. This one, however, is directed specifically to God, the Father. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner, that I deserve to go to hell. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I do now receive him as my Lord and personal Savior. I promise to serve you to the best of my ability. Please save me in Jesus' name. Amen. And then this third one is directed both to the Father and to the Son. I only just reference the fact that there's some differences. That's all I'm saying. Dear God, I confess that I'm a sinner and am sorry for all the wrongs I have done. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me, and I invite you, Jesus, to come into my heart. So this is to both the Father and the Son. Uh, Believe that your son, Jesus Christ, thank you, and invite Jesus to come into my heart and life as Lord and Savior. I commit and trust my life to you. Please give me the want to be what you want me to be and the want to do what you want me to do. Thank you for dying for my sins, for your free pardon, for your gift of eternal life, and for hearing and answering prayer. Now, that's very interesting to me. I just want to make this observation as we launch into this discussion. Why are they different? And wouldn't it be much easier to say that this is the one that's actually given to us in the New Testament? We word ours this way because it's from this passage of Scripture in the New Testament. You know the answer to that question? The reason why they differ is because it's not in the New Testament. 
The, you ever heard of deafening silence? I think that's an interesting term. And it, 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 by the way, it has some substance to it. It's not just kind of a poetic way of saying, way of saying something. Deafening silence is when, is, you can look this up, it's when you hear a loud, sustained noise. It's so loud, and it abruptly stops. And there's a couple of seconds when your, your mind is trying to adjust to it, and the, the silence is, is more than typical quietness that happens when it stops because your mind's adjusting. It's quieter than quiet. It's quieter than silence. Deafening silence. And the, the, the sinner's prayer is so widely accepted, listen closely, that in Christendom, in, in what some people call Protestant religions, it's very unusual to find a preacher that doesn't teach people to pray the sinner's prayer. And I would say the silence of Scripture is deafening in view of how broadly this is believed and taught and has been for so many years. The fact that it does not exist in Scripture is striking. There are 11 examples of conversion in the book of conversions in the Bible. Now, the New Testament, you remember, has Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the gospel accounts, the life of Jesus. When you get to Acts, he's already died on the cross. In Acts chapter 1, he ascends back to the Ancient of Days, back to heaven, back to the Father. And then in Acts chapter 2, you have the birth of the church, the church that, that Jesus was talking about when he said, on this rock I will build my church. This is the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, the church he died to establish. And Acts chapter 2 is the hub of the Bible. That means that everything before it was leading to it, everything after it is pointing back to it. Acts chapter 2 is the hub of the Bible. And sometimes people call that the book of Acts the book of conversions because this is, this is the history of the early church. And it becomes terribly interesting about what they preached and what they taught and how they grew. How would you find a subject more important than how they gained salvation? How? Now that Jesus has died, did they access the blood of Christ from that cross and appropriate it to their own souls? How did they go about that? There are 11 conversion examples in the book of Acts, the book of conversions. And I want to make reference to all of these today. And I'm putting the list up there for you so that you can keep notes if you like. And um, what I want to do is ask this question, not very complicated really. What, what did they do to be saved? And what I want to point out as we go is the absolute absence ever of the sinner's prayer. It does not exist. It does not exist in teaching or promotion or in practice. It isn't in there. All right, here we go. Let's start in Acts chapter 2. Here's the birth of the church. I want to drop down to verse 22. Now, what you're going to find is that in some of these examples, you don't have many details, examples of conversion. What is consistent is hearing, believing, and being baptized. I'm going to give you that, that spoiler to begin with. Hearing, believing, and baptized is something that floats through all of them. And sometimes you'll have repentance referenced, and sometimes you'll have confession referenced, and when they're not referenced, I would argue that they're implied, and we could talk about that too. Uh, I think you would agree with that when you read through all of these. But what is very typical in almost every case is hearing, believing, and being baptized. There are 11 of them. 
in the book of Acts, the book of conversions. I'm in Acts chapter 2 now in verse 22. Peter, this is Pentecost. There are thousands of people there. This is a Jewish feast. That's where they're gathered. Now the church is beginning and Peter and the other apostles are preaching. And here's what Peter says. Here's what the people heard. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you've taken by lawless hands, you've crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Peter's preaching Christ to them. His death and his burial and his resurrection, and they were guilty of taking part in his crucifixion. And then he quotes Joel, listen closely, verse 25 of David. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, my my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope, because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you, you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That is, the body of our Lord would not rot in that grave. You've made known to me the ways of life. You'll make me full of joy in your presence. There's the prophecy of David. Many brethren, Peter says, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. He's both dead and buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, that is of his descendants, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So he's preaching Christ. Now, verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up of which we're all witnesses. Drop down to 36. Therefore, he says, so he's concluding, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked or cut to the heart. What does that mean? I don't think you have to be a theologian to get that. They were cut to the heart. He had accused them of participating in the execution of an innocent man, Jesus. And he said, he's the son of God. And God's raised him from the dead. And suddenly this reality that they had, they had crucified the son of God and they're cut to the heart. And said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, if Peter, that is, was a typical preacher in Christendom today, because almost all of them will do this, would say, I'm glad you want to be in Christ. I'm glad you want to be a Christian. I'm glad you want to be saved. And wherever you are, I want you to listen closely, bow your heads, and pray this prayer from your heart. And he would recite a sinner's prayer, thank you, which would end with something like, thank you for saving me right here and right now. But I'm telling you, that's not what he said. I'm telling you, there are 11 cases of of salvation, of of conversion in the book of Acts, the book of conversions, and that's not there. And, And so he didn't say that. What he said was this. Peter said to them, verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That, that's, that's what he said. Now, sometimes there'll be an objection raised because of verse 21. I'm going to kick kick back there. We're going to spend a little longer on this one than the others. Some we're just going to touch on but because they don't have many details. But this has some details. And Peter quotes in this sermon from the prophet Joel. 
And the last verse of Joel's quote, which begins, by the way, Peter says, what's happening today, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And the last verse of Joel's prophecy quoted there is this. This is verse 21. And it will come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And see, people who teach the the sinner's prayer say, well, there it is. What you do is you call on the name of the Lord. But I want to ask you a question. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? You say, well, it, it means to say, Lord, Lord. No, it doesn't. Matthew seven twenty one. Jesus said, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. No, that's not what it means. I would argue that what you do is that, that you realize that Joel is being quoted, and Peter says, what's happening here today is what was prophesied by Joel. Well, what happened here today that resulted in salvation? And being saved is equivalent to having your sins forgiven. What did they do to have their sins forgiven? That's what being saved means, forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And the answer is they were told to repent and be baptized. To call on the name of the Lord means nothing except surrendering surrendering yourself to the terms of pardon that the Lord Jesus has laid out. And that's why in Acts 22 and verse 16, Ananias says to Saul, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You know what? That's how you call on the name of the Lord. You surrender to the terms that the Scripture has given you, that the Holy Spirit has given through His Word. We surrender to those terms and we obey the gospel, and that's how you call on the name of the Lord. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Joel was quoted here as saying, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. How do you call on the name of the Lord? You repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. What is dramatically absent here is the sinner's prayer. Now let's go to the second one. Again, I won't spend the same amount of time on all of them. I want to go to Acts chapter 8 now, beginning in verse 4, and let's look at two more conversions. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. This is the people of Samaria Samaria and uh, Simon the sorcerer. Verse 4 says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So there's, there's the hearing the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. The multitudes with one accord heeded those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So they hear the gospel of Jesus preached. But do they believe it and will they respond to it? Now verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the same city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man's the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, the people of Samaria believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed. What's that? Nothing about the sinner's prayer. The people of Samaria were taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. They heard and they believed it and they responded to it. Now, what were they told to do? Nothing about the prayer. Nothing about the sinner's prayer because it doesn't exist. They were told to be baptized. Hearing, believed, and they were baptized. Number next. Let's go to Acts chapter 8 and verse 35. This is the fourth instance of salvation or conversion in the book of Acts. 
start in 35 of Acts 8. The Ethiopian. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached Jesus to him. And as they went down the road, they came into some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, I know something. I can put two and two together. Preaching Jesus means preaching to be baptized. I mean, I know that because he was taught, and he listened, and he heard it, hearing, and then he believes, and why can't I be baptized? And 37 says, Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And... Philip said, then bow your head and pray these words. I'm a sinner. I accept Jesus into my heart. Sit on the throne of my life. Thank you for saving me right here and right now. In Jesus' name, amen. That's not what he said. Those words are not there. That that, that simply is a myth. It is a myth. It doesn't exist. Here's what really is true. Verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they'd come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Why did he do that? It's because he's a Christian. It's because he's in Christ. What he was concerned about is how to become a part of Jesus Christ. All right, here's the next one. Number five. This is in Acts 9, the next chapter. I want to start in verse 9. Now, remember that Saul, his name is Saul at this time. He's going to be the Apostle Paul one day. But he's on the road to Damascus, and he's persecuting Christians. He's a Jew's Jew. He's a real Jew. And, and he likes to punish them and imprison them. And That's who he is. But on the road to Damascus, he sees a bright light, and Jesus talks personally with him. Why are you persecuting me? When you persecute Jesus' people, you persecute Jesus. And, and Jesus says, I want you to go into the city and it will, told you, uh, it will be told you what you must do. And he did. Then he went just like he was told. And verse 9, he was three days, Saul was, without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I'm, am I, Lord. The Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Listen closely. For behold, he's praying. Now, he he hasn't been taught yet what to do to be in Christ or to be saved. He hasn't had that yet. Ananias is coming for the purpose of teaching him that. But in these three days before Ananias meets with him, the Bible says he's praying. It'd be a wonderful time right here. For him to be praying something like the sinner's prayer. That's not, that's not what he's praying. And I can tell you something else. He's never going to pray that prayer. He never will. Now drop down to verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once. Listen closely. And he arose and was baptized. He heard and he believed and he was baptized. When he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples who were, uh, were at Damascus. Now, by the way, later on, this account of his baptism, his conversion, is going to be discussed again and in Acts 22. And you have in that passage a detail that's very interesting. 
And it's what Ananias, it's something that Ananias said to Saul when he was teaching him. And it's this, arise, this is Acts 22 verse 16, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. How does a person have his sins washed away by the blood of Jesus? And the answer is, that happens when he's baptized. It'd be a fine thing. Now, Saul was already a praying man. Be a fine thing for Ananias to say, now here's the prayer you need to pray. Just be nice, quiet, take this into your heart, do it from your heart, and pray the sinner's prayer. But that's not what happened. What happened was that he heard and he believed and he was baptized. Here's number six. We go now to Acts chapter 10 and 11. And this is about the conversion of Cornelius. Now, he's unique because he's a Gentile. Up, up until now, they're just Jews. But the, the gospel is for everybody, thank God, because I'm a Gentile. I'm so glad that it's for everyone. Going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's for all of us. Well, here's the first Gentile convert. His name is Cornelius. And he, he understood because of, of the communication from heaven that Peter's going to be sent to him. Peter comes to him, knocks on the door, and is going to teach Cornelius in his house. Verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in a truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. See, that's about the Jew-Gentile thing. The gospel's for you. Jesus is for you. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Verse 44, they're going to hear the word. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those, and I've underlined in my Bible, who heard the word. They heard the word. Now, they responded to it. When you drop over to chapter 11 and verse 17, and by the way, this is discussed in both places. Chapter 11 is when Peter goes back and he tells the details in Jerusalem to the Jewish leaders, Christians, who are, you know, they're not too keen on baptizing a Gentile man, so Peter rehearses it. But he includes a couple of details here. I'm in Acts 11, verse 17. So then God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that, could, that I could withstand God? God's the one that wanted me to do this. When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Okay, I know that they repented. So they, had, they heard the word and they believed it, and now they're, they're repenting of their sins. Now drop down to verse 47. Peter said to Cornelius and his house, and to those Jews standing there, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we? Don't you think it's interesting that he didn't say, can any forbid prayer that these should pray the sinner's prayer in order to be saved and be, be uh, access the cross? What happened was they were baptized. And chapter 11 and verse 14 is very important. Again, it's, it's when the, the rehearsal, the, the repeating of what happened after that Peter's in Jerusalem and he's telling about what happened. It's this, the spirit told Cornelius, the angel told, told Cornelius, you accept Peter when he comes to you because he will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Got it? What saved them? I mean, what did they do in order to be saved? And where's the sinner's prayer? And the answer is, it certainly is not there. Okay, here's the seventh one. We have 11. Uh, some of these are going to be very brief. I'm in Acts chapter 16 now. Acts chapter 16. This is Lydia, conversion of Lydia, verse 13 of Acts 16. 
On the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and spoke to the women who met there. A certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God, heard us. She heard them preach about Christ. The Lord opened her heart so that she heeded the things which were spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were... You can picture a very beautiful scene down there by the river, and whoever wants to be saved in Jesus, just bow your head right here and right now, and let's pray. Here's what you say. But that's not what happened. When she and her household were baptized, she begged us, if you've judged me faithful, and etc. Heard, believed, and were baptized, or she was baptized. Here's number eight. We're in chapter 16. Let's talk about the Philippian jailer beginning in verse 25 or 23. Acts 16, 23. And you remember Paul and Silas were in prison. They sang, feet fast in the stocks, been beaten. And, and there's this earthquake. They're released from that. The keeper of the prison, verse 27, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried, do yourself no harm. We're all here called for a light, fell down before Paul and Silas. Here's verse 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, there's a big question. That's exactly what this sermon's about. Look at the answer. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. I tell you what, once in a while you'll have a preacher that'll stop right there because he really wants to exclude the necessity of baptism. He wants it to be faith only. And so he can't read on. He's got to stop there. And it's just plain old deceptive. But follow it now. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved in your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And he immediately he and all his family were baptized. Let me tell you what. That mirrors what Jesus taught in the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's what happened in the house of Cornelius. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. They taught him the truth and to his house and was baptized. Where's the, where's the sinner's prayer? Not a whisper of it. It doesn't exist. Now here's number nine. Drop down to chapter 18 and verse 5. Chapter 18 and verse 5. Two conversions here. Uh, the Corinthians and Crispus. Acts chapter 18, 5. And when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was constrained by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. When they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. He departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now, you'll note in verse 8 that it doesn't say Crispus was baptized. But was Crispus also baptized? Mm, Yes. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 14. Later, Paul is going to look back and say that he baptized Crispus. It's interesting here to me that it spells it out. Many of these Corinthians, verse 8, hearing believed, and were baptized. Sinner's prayer? No. Here's the last one. Here's number 11, and it's in chapter 19. There are 11 conversion examples in the book of Acts. We're about to read the last one. I'm in verse, uh, chapter 19 and verse 1. came to pass while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. 
finding some disciples, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Well, that called into question their baptism. You see, the church had already been established in Acts 2. And John's baptism, and I had a sermon about John's baptism recently, and you can get it in the archives if you want to listen to it, but um, they had been baptized with John's baptism after Acts 2. That was an obsolete baptism. And, and whether or not they had received the Holy Spirit was the question. Verse 3, he said to them, and to what then were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 of them. And I I won't go farther. I just want to have you observe in this, the last of the 11 examples, that the sinner's prayer was manufactured in the heart of men. Why? Why? Now, there's no plain answer to that, I, but there's, some pretty good, there's a pretty good guess. And it, and it goes back into the 1500s and the, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. Now, you have some quotes, and, and uh, what, what it is is that the, the religious leaders were trying very hard to press against the Roman Catholicism idea of, of salvation by meritorious works. And they took an extreme. Jacobus Farber has been called the father of the French Re- uh, Reformation. He wrote a commentary in 1512. And in that commentary, and again, he's fighting against the, the Roman Catholicism and the teachings, and, and that was a good thing, but this was five years before Martin Luther. And in his commentary, he argued that justification is obtained through faith without works. He's pushing against Catholicism. But now he took this extreme. Do you mean all works? And then five years later, Martin Luther is quoted by one biographer as as to have said this, I, Dr. Martin Luther, unworthy herald of the gospel of our Lord, Jesus Christ, confess this article that faith alone without works justifies before God. It was so important for him to fight the battle against Catholicism that the pendulum swung too far. And he omitted what you have been reading this morning about baptism and people accessing Christ this way in remission of sins. He utterly omitted that because he declared that this must be a work and we can't let any works be involved in salvation. When he translated Romans 3.28 that says man is justified by faith. Next, next slide. He inserted the word alone. He inserted a word to fit his doctrine. When he read the book of James, and you know James chapter 2 and verse 26, faith without works is dead. Well, that's very hard if you're, if you're Martin Luther. And so he just, re, he just renounced it. He shoved it aside and said that this book of James is a, it's an epistle of straw. Ignore it. Just ignore it. I don't know for a fact that that's where the, the sinner's prayer came from. I, I don't know that. But I think it's a pretty good guess. And so now you have to have 
some distinction between people who are in a lost condition, as I was describing, alien sinners, and somebody who is, is in Christ. And they made it the sinner's prayer. Accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior. And pray this prayer. I hope this, this sermon gives you some clarity about this. It's very common in studying with people that I'll, and we get to something like this and just say, I tell you what, between the, our study now and next, would you just read the book of Acts and, and do it with a pad of paper and make notes about what people did to have their sins forgiven? Just, just make a note every time you find it. Make a note and, and answer that question. What did they do? Because this isn't between them and me. It's about them and God. And the scripture is the book of God. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.